0: from the travel stories of the magunga magunga williams presents a country of big and small things narrated by dan aseda when you fly business class they let you out first And then when you're safely away from the plane, the rest of the livestock will follow. Those are the little joys that having a little more money affords people. It's not just about the extra legroom and the fact that they bring you slightly roasted tomatoes for breakfast. Being let in and out first is a subtlest definition of privilege. You know, just like in a political rally, you will know the hierarchy of importance by the order in which the politicians leave the stage. I was not supposed to have been in business class, because even from the tone of my voice, I'm sure you can tell that I have neither any business being there, nor, more importantly, class. I was one of the livestock who were meant to be riding in the back of the plane. Lakini, thanks to a mistake not of my own doing, I got upgraded to the other side. where they serve you fresh juice when you enter, and sometimes when your ancestors have eaten. They might even kneel like Baganda wives. That is how I ended up being among the first ones on Jose Marti International Airport's immigration line. We had just landed in Havana for a trip that Jaber and I had been planning for almost a year. She had traveled ahead of me a week earlier, so I was alone. Two ladies, who I remembered from the Muthayga end of the plane, went ahead of me. At first, I could not understand what was going on. The lady at the desk took their passports and then told them to stand aside. I walked ahead, looking at them in amazement, because it's not often you see white people being frozen at immigration. If I had known that the same fate awaited me, I probably would not have laughed in my heart. The girl at the desk looked at me, then at the cover of my passport, and without even examining any further, said something to me in Espanol while pointing at the ladies. And here is the thing about languages. You do not even need to understand fully what the other person is saying. You just need to know the context of your engagement, and you'll kind of figure out what she means. I was a black man traveling on a Kenyan passport and trying to get into the South American continent. So, of course, I had to go through the grinder. So, the immigration lady waved at some chap, who came, picked the passports from her, and then came to where I was standing with the two white ladies. Show me your ticket back and your hotel reservation he said, to no one in particular. And also, not in proper English. It's just that I can't do an impression of how people who are not colonized well speak the queen's tongue. But I was prepared for this. I remembered all my training. I knew that outside here it's quite shocking that an African can be a tourist. One must either be fleeing a country that is dying to die. Insert tearful wasan shire poetry or... They must be trying to smuggle in bad things. It was during this interrogation that I noticed my fellow livestock had started filling up the line behind me. Mostly, white people who walked to the immigration counter spent all of three minutes, and before you can even say passport privilege. They were already sipping Cuba Libre served with little yellow umbrellas while singing Havana onana, oh ah! Next to the malecon. The two ladies gave him their documents, and when he turned to me, I showed him my Turkish Airlines itinerary. Then he asked, Hotel reservation? So, I pulled out four documents and told him, No hotel, Airbnb. Huh? Me no have hotel book, Airbnb, house renting? I don't even know why I thought this was a good idea. This whole thing of dumbing down your English under the assumption that it makes things better to understand. I could have just said, I am not staying at a hotel. I will be renting Airbnbs during the duration of my visit here. Uh casa? He asked. And I nodded in agreement with Otada, not knowing what he was even talking about. I had seen the word casa written somewhere on my airbnb forms and i had not bothered to find out what it meant i gave him the booking forms for our stays in havana vinales Cienfuegos, and trinidad all the places we were meant to visit for the one week that i was going to be there then for good measure i even showed him my travel insurance which he had not asked for and also reminded him for good measure that I was flying business class. What I did not know is that it did not matter whether you were flying economy, business, or even heaven class, whether you are on Kenya Airways or you are on Lufthansa. Ajarateng is still ajarateng, and you have to prove that you are not coming to this country to stay. So I got to talking to the two women. They said they were from Georgia, not the U.S. state, but the country, in Europe. They were not kept very long. The guy came back like 15 minutes later, gave them back their documents, and they managed to get in. I thought I was to follow them shortly afterwards. But he told me to stay. In fact, he pointed to the seats next to the wall and suggested that I should sit down. You know, (laughs) because you're so worried about my jet lag. If this was happening to me in my country, I would have revolted and cursed them in the name of all the ancestors of Karwuth. But because I was in a different land, There was little I could do. Plus, we had already spent so much money. Causing a scene in a foreign airport was simply not worth it, metaphorically or financially. When I turned to sit, I noticed a group of other black men standing together mumbling. (laughs) They looked like several versions of Ottilie Brown, standing there in t-shirts that held onto their bodies like second skin, and trousers that could not reach their ankles however much they tried. They were also asked to sit down. And then we were left there. And of course, you know how Africans are when we meet outside this continent. All those inter-country Twitter fights are forgotten and we become like brothers. I found out that four of these guys were from Senegal. Brothers, I think. One of them, a Nigerian, and the other guy did not even speak. And for about an hour and some, we sat there, waiting, spewing philosophy about how our ancestors should have had strict immigration policies and thoroughly scrutinized Muzungus the moment they landed on our shores with Bibles. Aki, those old men let us down badly. They were just given salt and mirrors, not knowing that almost 500 years later, seven African men would be sitting at an airport, watching about three flights come in and get served, and yet still remain stuck at the mouth of the immigration desk. <laughs> Satan! Soon, other officers came to help the immigration guy who was handling our, and I use that word generous little situation. The Senegalese chaps got sorted first. Then the other dude was not speaking. I was left there with the Nigerian. So he asked me what I do for a living, and I considered telling him I breathe in and out. But instead, I said I was a writer. Turns out he does many things. He's an engineer, a music producer, a rapper, a photographer, and sometimes he also writes. Hey, I told him, maybe just choose one. Your favorite of those many gifts he has. And stick to it. Otherwise, you'll sound suspicious. Like you are trying too hard to hide something. I mean, come on. He did not need any more help looking fishy. He's already Nigerian, for Christ's sake. Wekoro watch Check this. The immigration guy comes back around. And guess what he asks me for? My return ticket and hotel reservation. Hey, I already gave them to you, I said, pointing at him, just in case he thought I was talking to somebody else. Me? Yes, you, Alejandro. Okay, fine. I did not call him Alejandro, but if I had, would that have been so indelicate? This dude had not even introduced himself to us. Okay, and how long are you staying here for? A week. I travel back on Friday. Next Friday? I nodded, mostly out of frustration because exactly what is the difference between what I had just said before this question? Ah, like I'm a lua buana. Even in such moments, I still feel the need for self-preservation to show my indignation to the entire process. And how much money do you have? 80 euros and some more in the ATM card. The truth is, 80 euros is all I had. The rest of the money was with Jabir, who was already in the city waiting for me. And where do you work? I am a writer. Journalist? Well, kind of. (laughs) I have been trying to explain to my mother for the past four years what blogging is, and she still hasn't gotten it. How do you think that would go for someone whose country first allowed the internet and personal computers in 2008? Anyway, he turned to the Nigerian and asked him the same questions. But when he got to the final question about what he does for a living, the dude went all in. He mentioned everything, including being a Nigerian. But <laughs> the most memorable part was at the end, when he told the immigration guy, I am a rapper Ogasa. I rap. I can even rap for you right now if you want. Can I rap for you oh?" <laughs> I sat there stifling my laughter, trying not to even shake from the giggles. I kept praying for this interview to end quickly, just in case the suppressed laughter decided to come out of my butthole instead. (laughs) Like, what was the logic here? That he could rap his way past immigration, um, Amma? That he would drop bars, and then by some mysterious stroke of luck, the immigration guy would also turn out to be an underground rapper. With a street cred to protect. And then they would battle it out for his entry into Cuba. You know what? It worked. Or rather, I think it worked. Because Alejandro left, went back to his office, and then came back for him. The Nigerian. And he was let through. And who was left all alone? Me. This guy. This little man who thought he knew the tricks of getting past immigration better than a Nigerian. Mm. I tell you I spent the next 20 minutes wondering if I should also have offered to write the guy an article to prove that I was actually a writer. Then Alejandro came back. And guess what he asked me for? My return ticket and hotel reservation. (laughs) At this point, I told him, listen, chief. Always call people chief when you need them to do something for you. I was the first guy whose documents you took and you went with them there to that office. I said, pointing at the door he had been walking in and out of. Come. Come we go. I help you find them. I was actually bluffing when I said that, but he bought it. Only that as soon as we got to the door, he asked me to stop, walked to a desk, picked up a bunch of papers, lifted them towards me and asked, Are these your papers? Are these your papers? I responded like that in my mind. But with my mouth, I simply said, Si, patron. With humility. Then we went through my itinerary once again. I explained to him that I would be spending in Havana for the first few days, then we would go to Vinales, then to Cienfuegos, then Trinidad de Cuba, then back to Havana for a day before going back home. Basically the very same thing I had told him when we first met. But somehow, this time, It all magically made sense. And he asked the lady at the counter to punch me through. And I thought that was the end of it. But it was not. Next, I found my suitcase waiting for me, carefully picked out from the conveyor belt. He asked me, Is this your bag? I said yes wondering how they were able to pick out my suitcase which I had not shown them, but could somehow not find documents I had personally handed over to them. And as I dragged it over to where he was directing me to, who do I see standing there like suspects waiting to be arraigned in court? Ha! All the other Africans we had been frozen with. All this time I had been thinking that they had been let go. but (laughs) I was handed over to a female airport security dressed in all green with white stockings and a skirt so short I could see Ezekiel Mutua trying to ban it from Nairobi. She told me to place my suitcase on top of a table and then open it. It's incredible how this whole process makes one feel guilty. Even when they know they have done nothing wrong. It's almost like when someone farts those silent killers, and then people start looking at you weird. I mean, you know you're not the one who did it. But from the way you're being accused, you even start to doubt yourself. So, me, I was over there opening the zip to my suitcase, praying that they do not find the packet of cocaine that I know I did not squeeze in between my towel and my sweatpants. So I watched with droplets of water forming around my balls as she flipped it open so that all my stuff was visible. Clothes rolled and stacked like sausages made of cotton. Not folded. Never folded. Rolled. She undid them all, one by one, and then set them to the side. First with the trousers then the shirts, all the way down to my socks and underwear. And as her hands ran through my boxers, I raised my eyes and looked at her face, trying to see if there would be a reaction of sorts, whether a disapproval or an approval. Something. Anything. I was sure that that was the first time she was touching a Jaluo's underwear. And as a representative of my nation, I wanted to know what she thought of my choices. In there, I had some boxers that look like shorts. And also the other ones that grab your bits like bikers. So, it would have been helpful if she could tell me which of those two make me look fat and which one really brings out my eyes. But she gave me nothing. She was stoic and unreceptive like a street lamp standing in the rain. Then when she was satisfied that there was no drugs or weapons in my bag or any other bad thing, she looked up and asked me to put them back in myself. <sighs> then we stood there for a few more minutes until another plane landed. And that is when they came back to us one by one giving us back our passports and telling us we were free to go this was about two hours or something since we had landed at seven twenty a.m they did it in order by which we had left the lobby first the senegalese chaps then the silent black dude then the nigerian and of course They saved their best wishes for the last because when Alejandro finally handed me my passport back, he smiled saying, Welcome to Cuba. Here's the thing though. Other than that stink at the airport, there is nowhere else I felt racially profiled. I had walked out of Jose Marti International Airport convinced that this would be a trailer to a horrific experience where I would be flayed and even hung from a tree. Nothing. The whole mess at the airport was not a precursor to anything that exists inside. Cuba is like a coconut. Tough and rough on the outside, yet so tender within. It's a country of sharp contrasts and beautiful ironies that leave you confused about it. This country was founded by immigrants. Half of its population is black, made of descendants of Africans, who had been exchanged for salt and spices that many years ago. Their dominant religion worships the old Western African gods, like Oshun. Their independence from dictatorship was championed by Che Guevara, an immigrant from Argentina. And Fidel Castro, son of a Spanish immigrant. Yet, given all this history, they still treat some immigrants the way they do. It's a country of big and small things. Their old architecture are massive, rising up in competition to see who can block the sun the best. Men happily flaunt their arms as big as their pride. Yet, their streets are so narrow and their internet is so scarce. But. Cubans. Cubans are colorful, not just in the way that they paint their houses with the colors of the rainbow, but also in character. They are a flamboyant people who wear their nationalism on their sleeve, walk as if the earth worships their every step, and dance. Oh my goodness, they dance as if the devil lives in their waists. But their food is dull and unimaginative, and they think everything can be eaten with guavas. In Havana, you're never more than two steps away from someone who is ready to kiss your cheeks, call you his friend, and even invite you into his home to meet his mother. And when you sit along the walls of the malecon in the evening, when the sky looks like it's bleeding, you will not be able to sit alone without someone asking you where you are from. Then you will both sit there and watch a dying ball of fire quench itself into the sea. And if you are unlucky, you will see a cruise ship chasing after the sunset, taking those lucky bastards to whichever Caribbean island lucky bastards are taken to. Generally, a Cuban will not be mean to you. One or two might sell you cigars made of banana leaves. But if you have ever bought anything from Gidurai, then you know that is child's play. And this is why up to now, something still bothers me about that little incident at the airport. And I wonder, at that moment, when Alejandro gave me back my passport and said, Welcome to Cuba. Was he talking to me as an immigration official? Or as a Cuban? Aquí puedo meter la